Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing relatively well. It's a little bit hot, you know. The dog days of summer are coming upon us. Fall camp, if you want to call it fall camp. I always hate that. I make everybody call it preseason camp on Sun Devil Source because it happens to be in 100 degree days in August, but um, definitely not trying to complain too much even. I definitely have been told exactly that to call it fall camp. So because of that reason, this is the ASU preseason camp primer, Chris. It should be a really cool podcast to get people in the know for this team. There has been a lot of off the field scrutiny of the Sun Devils right now, which kind of is what it is. There still is some football to be played and they ultimately control their own destiny. In that respect, they have the ability to prove that that off-field scrutiny maybe isn't truthful and they're still on an upward trajectory as some of the players have talked about recently and maybe try to have a similar type of season to last year. So in this podcast, we're going to tell you, kind of dig into what their biggest obstacles to doing that will be as well as their biggest strengths and how there's so much difference that's going to be here on the team this season. So to do that in the podcast, we'll be covering important transfer additions. We'll be covering ASU's most important returners as well as the biggest question marks that we'll want to learn more about during practices in the next few weeks. And at the end of the podcast, Chris is going to give his preview of his Pac-12 media day votes and where he has ASU in his preseason ballot, which will be interesting given all of the noise around the program. Currently, all of this, all of the voting, of course, will be revealed July 29th on Pac-12 media day, but we'll give you the insides to what Chris Cartman's thinking. And it should be interesting this year with all of the noise around USC and UCLA announcing their departures to the big 10. So Chris, a lot to cover in this podcast But first off, what's on everyone's mind is transfers. There's tons of them coming in to ASU, and there's a lot of important ones as well. A dozen Division I transfers, that is more than ever. And the quickest, maybe the first place that people look is on offense. Jaden Daniels going to LSU. They've lost three offensive linemen, two running backs, half of its wide receiving core. So on offense, Chris, who are they really looking to to maybe try and replace some of those guys leaving? I think Emory Jones unquestionably. The Florida quarterback transfer is the most important offensive transfer that ASU has incoming. Um, He was a starter there. And uh, we looked at spring practices this year, and the options that they had uh, were – they looked pretty mediocre at best. Uh, Paul Tyson, a lot of people thought because he was at Alabama and a former four-star that he might uh, come in and sort of take the reins, but that really didn't happen. Um, we saw Trenton Bourget, um, a guy who has, um, earned a lot of credit within the program for, um, how precise and, and smart and, uh, his operational attributes, but didn't really see anything uh, to that to my eye looked like ASU was ready to have, um, highly competent quarterback play or anything really close to that. Emory Jones, I think, is very likely to emerge as the leader and or be the, the name, the starter within the first couple of weeks of preseason camp. I would be surprised if not. Um, he is similar to Jane Daniels in, in terms of he's an athletic, mobile guy who likes to run and get out and move um, through a lot of interceptions last year. Daniels also had a, a, a unusually uh, high number of interceptions um, compared to earlier 
uh, in his career last year. So, um, but that's probably on uh, the, the mobility and the athleticism. I don't think anybody's had ASU's had someone who was quite as athletic as Emory Jones, maybe ever at the position. And they probably need that a guy who uh, led Florida in rushing last year, around 800 yards or something. Um, because of the limitations that they have elsewhere on offense, especially at their wide receiver positions, right? So um, with all the guys that you mentioned uh, departing, they've lost so much that um, it's not just that quarterback where you really have uh, a big hole that you're trying to fill, or at least trying to get some starter, some quality starter caliber play. But at running back, uh, after, of course, the departures, of ASU's offensive MVP, Rashad White, and then Diamante Trainum, his backup. Uh, they, they took Xavion Valaday from Wyoming, who's the second all-time leading rusher in Cowboys history, extremely productive, the most rushing yards uh, over the last three years in the Mountain West Conference. He'll be paired um, in a backfield with Daniel and Gata. Um, I'm sort of guessing that Valaday ends up getting uh, – the most of the carries and most of the reps, but uh, in God, I've always thought was a really dynamic athlete who had a chance to be impressive, but um, yeah, I, I, are they going to be able to replace what they got from Rashad white there? I'm not, I'm not sure that that kind of remains to be seen uh, elsewhere on offense that they, uh, they lost Kellen Deesh and Donovan West and, and Henry Haddis. It's three offensive line starters, two really good ones. And they got, um, transfers from four offensive linemen um, who are, I think probably at least three of them will probably end up starting or at least two at a minimum. Um, there's, there's Chris Martinez from San Diego state. Who's a right guard Des Holmes from Penn state, who uh, was getting first team reps at right tackle uh, after being a backup uh, for the Indy lions. Um, they also got Joey Ramos, the local product, uh, transferring back home from Iowa State. He can play guard center or tackle on the right side. So there'll be some competitiveness probably there between Ramos, Holmes, Martinez. Um, I, I don't think more than two of those players will end up starting in all likelihood. Um, and then at wide receiver, they're really only one addition, uh, high school or transfer or JUCO, and that's Cam Johnson from Vanderbilt. He's the most productive of all the receivers that they have in terms of just pure statistics. And with ASU losing Ricky Pearsall and LV Bunkley Shelton, uh, both of whom are, are were their, their top slot receivers last year, that's where Cam Johnson fits right in. And that, I, I can't imagine that he's not going to be uh, as targeted as anybody on the team this year as a result of that. And then with the, the loss of Curtis Hodges at tight end, they have to replace that, and they added Messiah Swinson from Missouri, a uh, veteran guy who's been mostly a backup and a blocker, but he's 6'8 and 240-something pounds and even even a little bit bigger than Hodges um, uh, and somebody who should be able to be a full-service guy um, and get a lot of the, the action at that position. So uh, at least, I would say, um, six or seven of their offensive starters will be new to the team this year could even potentially be higher. And pretty much all of those guys are going to be uh, college transfers. The only other one that we haven't mentioned who's maybe a candidate is Emmett Foley, who was a D2 starting left tackle at Northern state who will battle Isaiah glass 
perhaps at left tackle, but um, so there's a lot of, a lot of new guys that uh, ASU fans are going to have to get to know in a hurry. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people on the out and a lot of people on the end, and it's not really any different, any different for the defense, I should say, and essentially entire uh, secondary has moved on. You add on to that, like to Darian Butler, Eric Gentry, DJ Davidson, Tyler Johnson, Jermaine Lillet, a bunch of players leaving on the defensive side of the ball. So in terms of transfers coming in, what's kind of the team's best chance to replace those guys? That's going to be difficult. Um, I think they're better situated up front, probably, with a lot of their returners, but they did supplement with uh, a, a good nose tackle addition. Nesta Silvera from Miami. Uh, he was their highest ranked overall incoming transfer. Uh, has a good chance to replace Davidson, as you said there, um, with, with uh, TJ Pesafea, also pretty good option uh, at that position. Um, I, I think at end, they're pretty much solidified. So they're, they're, they didn't add anybody that's going to contribute to replacing um, Tyler Johnson, in my estimation. At least that's not uh, primarily um, going to be the case, but in the secondary, absolutely. That's where I think the most of the attention needs to be with the transfers. Uh, we saw some pretty promising signs at the safety position with, uh, Chris Edmonds from Samford and Corey Bethley from Hawaii. Both of those guys were starters at their previous schools. Bethley was maybe the best defensive player at Hawaii over the last three seasons. Um, as ASU tries to replace uh, DeAndre Pierce, uh, Evan Fields, uh, I think those two guys have a really good chance of, of emerging as starters. They're certainly, or I'd say almost certainly, going to be at least in the top three safeties. Uh, cornerback is a position where after the departures of, of Chase Lucas and Jack Jones, both of whom drafted by, in the NFL, uh, they're going to have to find at least one starter to uh, to play alongside of Tamarcus Davis and maybe even could end up with two new starters potentially, but uh, Tark Luckett and Roe Torrance are the two main guys who are coming in that have a chance to make an impact. Um, neither one of them though were around in the spring. So it sort of remains to be seen exactly what uh, can be expected from them uh, at linebacker. There's, there's no transfer additions who uh, are expected to have any impact uh, on, on the 2D. Yeah, so a lot of transfers coming in, certainly a lot of kind of question marks around them as well. We'll touch on those later on and what we kind of want to learn from them. But outside of transfers, when you got so many players leaving the program, you got to figure out some sort of way to replace them. There, there are some important returners returning for the team, but only about a third of ASU starters are returning from last season. So kind of with the strength of the team returning, being in that front seven on the defense, specifically though on the offensive side, there are some guys coming back. And so who do you think are kind of expected to be really important players and, and kind of why do you think they would be important coming back? Yeah, well, Darius Henderson is going to have to be an anchor for the offensive line at left guard. I think he's their best uh, returning offensive player, um, maybe overall, but certainly in their offensive front, he probably is. Um, and then also there are other, there are other offensive linemen that's really uh, crucial returning is Ben Scott, who could end up at starting at center, shifting over from right tackle, uh, replacing um, – uh, Donovan West and and um, 
that's a that's a that's a major focus. Uh, I would say when you have uh, probably three guys who are going to be new to the team or just starters for the first time at this level. Um, uh, Isaiah Glass has a chance to be a starter at left tackle. He's um, only going to be in the second year of college and only really he's three years into the the transition from being a tight end uh, here locally at the high school level to uh, potentially being a left tackle. And then, um, of course, at running back, I mentioned Daniel and got earlier. He got his first career start against Wisconsin. Super tough assignment, the number one run defense in the country. Last year, that was when uh, Trey and um, uh, had already left and Rashad White decided he was going to opt out to focus on the draft. Um, uh, at tight end, Jalen Conyers was a, a high-value transfer addition last year who got his feet wet playing behind Curtis Hodges at the tight end position at, at Oklahoma, former four-star recruit. Um, he's really talented and athletic at six. Uh, and 260 pounds or, 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 or thereabouts. So I think that's, I think that's someone who should be able to really kind of elevate and that receiver, they absolutely need guys to step up given that I, as I said earlier, there's only one newcomer to the position and the fact that they lost Johnny Wilson and um, uh, Ricky Pearsall and LV Bunkley Shelton and Jordan Porter uh, and uh and uh, Alexander to Washington, like they, they, they really need Brian Thompson and Elijah Badger, I would say in particular to elevate those guys have a chance to be the starters at both of the outside positions. I think ASU would, would, would like for them to step up and secure those roles. And um, that's going to have a really big uh, impact on the overall balance of the offense because with Emory Jones being someone who's been interception and, and act prone and accuracy issues at times from the pocket in particular, uh, ASU needs to extract as much as it can from the wide receivers who are returning to the team uh, in order to, to not be uh, as run uh, heavy as they were last year. Remember uh, Zach Hill, former offensive coordinator said he wanted to, to uh, pass the ball more than run the ball, like 55 to 60% pass ended up being the ASU ran the ball at least 60% of the time last year. That, that wasn't the balance that they aspired to have. And for that to, to even though they have a new coordinator this year, Glenn Thomas, um, for, for them to be able to get back to a little bit more of a balance, they're going to need Jones and these receivers to, to who are returning in addition to Cam Johnson to step up. Yeah, let's shift over now. Again, to the defensive side of the ball, similarly speaking, there are some guys that are returning, but with so many people leaving, they're also going to need guys to kind of step up. So who are the most important returners on that defensive side of the ball? Well, I think it, you have to start at linebacker with uh, Kyle Soley and Merlin Robertson. Uh, Merlin Robertson, I feel like he's been uh, starting in the Pac-12 since the conference expanded uh, to 12 teams. A decade ago, but you know, really, uh, nobody really expected that he would be around Tempe for a sixth uh, year. He still has a lot to prove, in my opinion. I, I think he had a pretty mediocre season last year. Um, it's it's really about living in the film room and, and studying opponent tendencies and schemes and uh, being really anticipatory on the field and, and directing everyone aggressively. Kyle Soley is 
maybe their most important overall returning player on defense because he is sort of that type of a guy who has the the command of the defense and uh, he's pointing out everything, motions and uh, defensive adjustments on the fly. And um, I think he's taken on a little bit more of a vocal presence this year. And he's going to be at Pac-12 Media Day representing the team, a local product as Saguaro. So that, that's kind of a, a good uh, uh, visibility guy that you'd like to have. So, you know, those two guys are obviously at the top of the list, but then Tamarcus Davis is the only returning guy in the secondary who's played a ton over the last few years. They, they have had Jordan Clark and Mason Williams, you know, get quite a few reps, especially on nickel downs, but uh, Tamarcus Davis, Absolutely, they need him, and he's capable of being an NFL draft pick in his own right. He's uh, taller and bigger than Jack Jones. He's probably twitchier than Chase Lucas, forty plus inch vertical and four five forty at six foot and one hundred and eighty pounds or something like that. But it's, he, he was not as consistent last year as he probably should have been. And then up front, um, they need Omar Norman Lott to step up in a big way at the three-technique position with Jermaine Lole's departure to Louisville. Uh, they have B.J. Green behind him, but I think that Norman Lott, his uh, versatility, his ability to play the run and still be dynamic um, as a pass rusher, exploited interior gap, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of upside that remains uh, to be on lock there. Um, defensive ends, is what, that's one of the strengths of the team. They return multiple starter level players, right? You have Michael Matus on the left side. Uh, He's started and played a lot. Anthony Cooper on the right side. Trevez Moore is coming back from an ACL tear that he suffered just a couple games in last season as he was sort of showing a little bit of what he could do. So I'm interested to see athletically if he's he's, uh, near 100% or exactly where he's at. And there's some young guys at defensive end who are really probably even more athletically promising uh, than even the starters. Uh, Joe Moore and Garrett Stansberry, uh, I I think you could see those guys really elevate this year and and have a big impact. So um, there's, you know, there's still a pretty good amount of talent, um, especially uh, up front for, for this ASU defense and, uh, supplemented by the, the the newcomers that we talked about earlier. Yeah, and, and going back to the kind of offensive side of the ball with with returners, is there anyone else that, other than that, the people that we've just talked about that maybe would go under the radar as returners that maybe even have to elevate even more to kind of be important, but are players that they're going to need in the upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, I didn't talk about Case Hatch, but he's important. Uh, fullback, H-back versatile type of a guy, short yard situations, goal lines. He's shown what he could do a little bit, uh, um, getting out into the perimeter as a blocker, maybe getting the ball a little bit more often in his hands, potentially this year. Wide receiver, it's not just that they need uh, Brian Thompson and Badger to step up. They also really could use Andre Johnson, a guy who was vying for a starter role last year before he had a health issue that sort of derailed his season. And there's even potential for uh, Geo Sanders or Chad Johnson Jr. Um, because remember, ASU is, is only six scholarship players deep at wide receiver right now. So that's all hands on deck. Like 
you're not going to get a better opportunity to be able to get out there and make some plays. And we have seen Geo Sanders uh, in the slot as like a second to third team guy um, in, in, in practices over the last year show that he's uh, been able to make some plays. So maybe he could transition that to where he could be a, uh, you know, not one of their top, you know, weapons, but a serviceable backup guy who's really important. And then um, I think they're probably seven deep with their offensive linemen. And we've kind of talked about everybody, but if there were like a sleeper or two uh, there, maybe Ralph Frias, who who set out last year um, because of a a health issue, but was practicing with the team again um, this uh, this spring. Uh, He's an older guy, four years in. Um, at times he's taken a lot of second team reps, uh, so he could potentially maybe be a wild card. And then Ben Bray, uh, had an injury that kept him off the field in the spring, but he looked good in practices, I would say last year and is like a potentially sneaky guard center, uh, guy who could battle up into maybe being a second alternate option, uh, along the offensive line. Yeah. And, and kind of in the same way on the defensive side of the ball, is there anyone else that may kind of step up or may also be an important returner that you didn't already talk about previously? Yeah. Well, look, um, when you lose uh, the, the guys that departed at linebacker, uh, Darian Butler and uh, Eric Gentry and uh, Gentry would have been the third starter. So now somebody else has to step up and be a starter. Uh they, they tried to, to take a transfer. It didn't work out. Uh, he's already left up the team. So the guys that really have an opportunity there are Connor Soley, who's Kyle's younger brother, uh, who's an even more athletic guy uh, than Kyle. Um, uh, and then um, another Suaro product, they have three Suaro products at linebacker is, is Will Schaefer. Uh, I think that he is sort of in a little bit in the Darian Butler mold in terms of his physical uh, type. Um, and then another guy there is, is, uh, Kayla McCullough, who's, you know, been, been around the program for a few years now. So, um, you know, I, I would say in the secondary, there's, uh, I mentioned Jordan Clark and Mason Williams. Uh, both of those guys have a chance to become the nickel starter. Uh, they would be battling each other. Um, uh, uh, we also saw that Jordan Clark took some reps at safety. So he's a, a uh, backup option there. I didn't mention Kiwan Markham earlier when I talked about the the new safety transfers, uh, um, Chris Edmonds and Corey Bethley. But the fact of the matter is that um, Kiwan Markham started a lot last year when um, Evan Fields was out of the lineup. And at times he looked like he was a, a, a competent, uh, maybe even a mid-level Pac-12 safety in the making. So I think he's got a uh, a really good chance. Uh, Keon Markham took some first team reps at corner in the spring because they didn't yet have Luckett and Torrance uh, in the fold, so so he has an opportunity. Uh, Isaiah Johnson, one of the highest rated recruits that they have remaining on the team as an underclassman, he seemed like he was sort of buried uh, last year and even into the spring, but maybe he has the ability to sort of rise up. I mentioned earlier that you have Garen Stansberry and Joe Moore and DJ Green as probably second team guys on defense. Um, 
who all could actually be pretty impressive players. Um, and then they, they also added uh, Jaleel Rivera Harvey, who is a uh, junior college guy with uh, three years of eligibility, very strong, and uh, maybe he could compete. But TJ Pesafea is likely to be the backup uh, to uh, Silvera. So um, I think probably not quite as many of these types of guys um, on defense as, uh, you know, on offense as on defense, pardon me, I should say. I think on offense, you know, it, it's, it seems pretty much more locked into who the, the, their, their primary starters and uh, backups are probably going to be in terms of um, their transfers that they have incoming and not as many sort of uh, younger guys that are on the roster who have a chance to rise up with the exception of maybe that receiver position that we talked about, but still they're, the roster is not deep overall right now. And as a result of that, um, a lot of guys are going to be able to get second team reps in camp and show that they're ready for an elevated role. Yeah. So, so far in the podcast, we've kind of gone to who is on the roster and who have came into the roster to make it a couple more players who's left the roster. So we've gone into who's on the roster, but even with that, we haven't seen a lot of them play. A lot of them weren't there during spring ball. So we didn't see them play then either. So what are some of the biggest question marks that we'll want to learn at Sun Devil Source and fans will want to know going into these, these fall ball or ASU kind of spring practices? What do you expect and what question marks do you think you want to know? in these practices. Right. So people will remember last year, ASU was the most penalized power five team, and especially with procedural issues on offense. And that was with the second year coordinator. So now they have uh, Glenn Thomas, who's a new coordinator uh, and they have a bunch of new players across the board who are going to be starting or heavily relied upon. So what's that going to look like? operationally are, are they gonna uh be able to get lined up quickly and are guys gonna know their assignments are there gonna be false starts and or other sort of procedural issues those things you can kind of get a pretty good sense of in the first couple of weeks of camp like if, if that's going to be an issue building into the season i know that some of the coaches said that they didn't expect it last year i thought that those things were kind of present really, uh, in, in, in camp, um, more than they probably should have been. Um, you know, after that, I think it's, it's, uh, everything in my way of, of, of looking at football is starts at the point of attack. So when, when you lose really good offensive line starters and your tight end, who was an important blocker in the box, what does that look like? Uh, are they going to be able to protect for Emory Jones? Are they going to be able, or whoever the quarterback is, I, I assume it's going to be Emory Jones, or are they going to be able to create the same run game opportunities as they did for Rashad White and Deamonte Train on uh, this year? Uh, and when you move the, the center, when you is Ben Scott or whoever that is, that, that changes a lot. And then you have a new left tackle, that changes a lot. And then you have the what all these guys will tell you is it's really how in sync that they are as a group in terms of their blocking and kind of 
understanding each other's tendencies and communication and all that, uh, it doesn't just automatically happen. So I, I, I'm interested to see how that's going to look as well. And then Emory Jones, okay, what kind of a leader is he? His presence, uh, how, what do his mechanics look like, his accuracy, his ability to deliver the football on time and to where it needs to be, his ability to, to uh, understand and, and execute the playbook, which is going to be new to him. Uh, and then, you know, as I said, kind of push and motivate everybody around him. I Even though the ASU is replacing Rashad White, I think that Valaday and Gata, they probably should end up being pretty solid. I don't, it's not like they are going to be a, uh, like, you know, a, they're going to significantly drop off to where they have a bad uh, running back capability. But I think much more so it is operationally, it is point of attack, and then it is Emory Jones. And then, of course, as I said earlier, they need receivers to be able to do better than they have done to this point and uh i think i'm most skeptical probably about that of anything i just think that it's a huge ask given all of these new variables got to learn a new quarterback got to learn a new system uh you know you, you gotta you know play in an elevated role maybe for the first time ever for some of these guys I think it's a big ask, and that probably is the, the going to be the toughest challenge maybe on offense. And what about on defense? We talked about a lot of change over there as well. We also talked about maybe still being kind of a strong front seven, but what are the biggest question marks on the defensive end? Well, I think really on the secondary. Um, ASU had a pretty good secondary. You know, of course, every team – even the good ones have some lapses and ASU had some, but last year there was a point in time when ASU was the last remaining power five team that hadn't given up a 40 yard play. Uh, and of course we saw that both their corners got drafted and we know that there, that, that maybe DeAndre Pierce was their most reliable safety and Evan Fields was good. So uh, when you have to overhaul your entire secondary, that's a big challenge. And also they have a new, in Michael Fletcher, they have a new secondary coach because remember Donnie Henderson is moving on to a, a defensive coordinator role. So what? So how does that change the dynamic? And what are they going to be able to do in that regard? Then you move up to linebacker. Darian Butler was a really important player, and Eric Gentry was an emerging star. Do they have a third guy who can be a, a, a execute and do everything that they need there? And it, are they going to have enough depth there? Um, I'm not sure. And then up front. It is uh, the mandate that they have really is got to get better against the run. Got to be a more stout, more violent, nasty point of attack team this year. And not that they were bad necessarily against the run last year because they weren't. But um, do do the newcomers, uh, especially Silvera, do they aid in that presence? And then do the guys around them uh, elevate in that respect, uh, you know, Omar Norman Lott talked about him, but too. So I think Anthony Cooper was probably the most improved player on the team last year, especially uh, going from being more of a uh, passing down guy to somewhat of a full service guy. And I think that he can still uh, step up even more. And then, um, you know, how do all of these units kind of work in sync and tandem? And, and then also, are they going to have consistency? Because what happened last year was 
when things started to go bad for them within games, they didn't have that leadership presence to be able to uh, remain calm and even keeled and, and, and kind of push through some of those challenges. So um, are they going to have that leadership maturity, the, the right disposition that they need to have this year? So those are a lot of the defensive questions I'm looking to see answered. Yeah. And, and on general with kind of both sides of the ball, what are your expectations just going into camp of how long it's going to take for those questions to be answered and maybe how quickly they can be answered just off of what we might see in camp? Well, there's no doubt that teams continue to improve even after camp. And a lot of, you know, people know that the whole, the saying of, you know, you get the most improvement between your first and second game. Um, I, I think that there's some truth to that, but it's not like we've been really surprised um, thinking like in, in all the years that I've done this, right. I've never thought, Oh, like three weeks into August, we're looking at a borderline bowl team that then went on to win 10 games or not, or something like that. And I've never really thought that ASU looked like they were going to be world beaters and win the conference. And then they ended up missing a bowl game. You usually, you know, within about a two to three win range, or you have at least a very good sense within a two to three win range of what the most likely outcomes are for a team. Of course, injuries and other things can, can change that. Um, and, and then you have to adjust the forecast accordingly. But I think that we will have a pretty good idea about what to expect from ASU, uh, you know, a week or two before they play their first game. Yeah. So Chris, we've now gone through the roster. We've talked about all the players that will be on the current roster, at least as it is currently. Let's talk about what you have and what you expect from ASU based on all this information. We talked about you doing preseason ballots for PAC 12. All the votes will be revealed July 29th on PAC 12 media day. But Chris, what are your kind of preseason ballot votes looking like? Where do you have ASU? Right. So this was a challenge, quite a challenge this year. Um, remember, the North and South divisions are, are no more. So it's just a pure 1 through 12, which is the first time uh, that it's been that way since I started voting. Because it's been that way for um, since 2011, I guess, right? So um, with the, the two divisions. So that also was a different, a little bit of a different wrinkle. Um, uh, I think that... It's clear, in my mind at least, that you have a top tier that's Utah, USC, Oregon, and maybe UCLA. And then you have a bottom sort of a tier that's like Colorado and Arizona and maybe Stanford, even though Stanford does have a coaching staff that's been historically gotten a lot done and they have a lot of returning starters. But the the first tier of schools, they all return a lot and or did a excellent job with the transfer portal. USC, excellent transfer portal. UCLA, great in the transfer portal. Really well coached. Oregon got some key players and is really talented. And Utah, with Cameron Rising and a lot of what they have coming back that they supplemented, I think they're in great shape. So I think that really you have, my way of looking at it is there's a, a middle tier that's like the Washington schools, Oregon State, ASU, and Cal, okay? And all of them are probably 
most likely to finish in a range of somewhere between five wins or borderline, like four to five wins, probably five to seven, maybe eight at the very high end, right? So there's not a huge wiggle room. And once you get into that, then I start to look a lot at scheduling. Because of course you have some Pac-12 teams play five conference home games, some play four. Some, they have a more difficult early path. And when you struggle kind of earlier or when you have a more challenged schedule earlier, um, I think that creates some more challenges for a team. So when I look at ASU's overall situation and schedule, I, I, I see a, a team that has a little bit more challenges this year, right? Because they, you know, going to Oklahoma State's tough. And then after a, a Eastern Michigan, they, they, they host Utah, which I think is like ASU's done, you know, typically done pretty well against Utah at home. But I think Utah might be the favorite to win the conference this year. And ASU has a lot of new pieces that's trying to sort of get all on the same page. And then they go to USC after that. So that's a very difficult opening. I, I think that it's very possible that ASU loses three of its first five games. And then you have all these questions of, okay, what happens if ASU is two and three and the, there's, you know, uncertainty about Herm Edwards' future and, you know, all these, you know, external things could be really kind of challenges, right? And so, like, ultimately, when I look at it, uh, coupled with the fact that ASU only has four Pac-12 home games and um, they have to play late in the year at Colorado, which is one of the easier teams in the conference should be, but in October 29th in Boulder, that makes it a little bit tougher. And then at Washington state, that's a very difficult place to play in November. So because I think that ASU circumstances and schedule is more difficult than other teams in this tier of, of uh, I guess, five schools, I have ASU at the bottom of that list. Uh, in ninth position in my uh, Pac-12 media ballot. I struggled with it. Honestly, I, I think that easily I could have had ASU ahead of Cal or Oregon State. Uh, I think Oregon State also has a very difficult schedule, but I like their overall circumstances and, and coaching and their stability. And they just they have a little, a little more stuff kind of going for them, I would say, right now. Uh, and ASU's uh, struggling with Oregon State, even though that game is, is in Tempe this year. So, um, so yeah, I think ninth, but ninth with a caveat being that it easily still could be uh, a six-win team because, um, you know, it's very easy to, to imagine that uh, four and five and uh, the conference and, and six or or, or – or three and six with somehow a win that over Oklahoma state could get ASU to that, uh, to that six win sort of range. But uh, if ASU ended up with five wins this year, that wouldn't be a surprise whatsoever. Well, there you have it. Get to know Chris Cartman's thoughts before anyone else does. And just another reason to listen to our podcast, but that'll be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Hopefully 
you're at least a little bit more in the know about an ever-changing and very different ASU team that will be taking the field this season. But we're going to continue to make sure you know everything you need to know about the team. This week, you'll see on Sun Devil Source articles that are ranking the most important newcomers and returning players. We didn't talk about them in any specific order in this podcast, but they will be ranked in articles uh, later this week. There'll also be an article on the top 10 most important storylines to watch in camp couple of those probably will be the question marks that we talked about during this podcast as well, but there'll be more and those will be top 10 ranked as well. And then full coverage from PAC 12 media day. We of course gave you Chris Cartman's thoughts, but there'll be thoughts of players and coaches as well throughout that day too. So make sure that you're tuning back into sundevilsource.com for all of that information uh, to make sure that you're staying up to date on a very new ASU team. But that'll be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for Chris Cartman. I'm Ethan Brenner. We'll see you guys next time.